0: Hey everyone, welcome to Good Nature, a show about good people doing good things despite challenges like chronic illness, disability, and more. My name's Tony, and I'm a digital media professional dealing with a chronic muscle disease called LGMD2I. Today I'm talking with Yumi Shim about all things limb girdle muscular dystrophy, the condition we both have. Yumi recently launched a page on Instagram called LGMD, where she creates audio and visual profiles on people from all over the world that deal with LGMD, including myself. We'll talk about all that and plenty of other things, including our shared favorite regional hamburger. Here's Yumi. All right, Yumi, welcome to the show. As I mentioned, I guess, in the intro, you are my second guest that has the same specific condition, or a version of the same specific condition as myself, limb girdle, muscular dystrophy. You are, however, the first guest, and this is really exciting to me. You're the first guest from the Akron, Ohio metro area like myself. we would probably do an entire episode just about that. Unfortunately, I decided to make a podcast about fellow people with chronic conditions and not a podcast about the Akron metro area, but we can start off by talking about that for sure. So you, it's like a tale of two Akrons because you're either from the part of Akron by the Summit Mall or Chapel Hill Mall. You are a Summit Mall person, correct?
1: I am. And it's unfortunate that LeBron was busy at this exact moment, but I'm also happy to be your first Akron interview.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, he is dealing with an injury right now. Well, I would hardly equate him as qualifying as having a chronic condition because he's obviously a physical freak. um, And he's, he's probably gonna be just fine after having his like, maybe like third injury in 18 years of playing professional basketball. But No, it's great to have you here. You are, I think we talked about this a little bit uh, previously. You're a Swenson's fan, correct?
1: Um, Let me tell you a Swenson's story. I have not lived in Ohio in, gosh, eight years about, Um, but it was only a couple of weeks ago when my parents flew back from there. They actually brought me several sacks of galley boys and potato teasers. And um, and all the wonderful sides. Uh, that's how much of a fan I am. So yeah.
0: how does how does Swenson's hold up traveling to the south?
1: Beautifully. I mean, it's not a very long flight, and I think they went on their way to the airport and then stopped here, you know on their way home. Straight from the airport, uh, we happen to have a couple of people over uh, that are part of our pod. And they were like, wait, hold on a second. These burgers were on a plane today. Like these came from another state. I'm like, shh, don't ask too many questions. Just enjoy.
0: Comparatively, I- I'm about the same. I've been outside of Ohio for nine years now. And, you know, comparatively, Southern California has in and out which is like considered, I guess, the best. And it is really good. Um, and you always there's stories that pop up of like someone found like an in and out rapper in like Brooklyn and it caused this big thing online. Like, what does this mean? Is there going to be like in and out like coming to New York City? And, you know, that's been rumored for I'm sure decades and it will probably never happen. But I it'd be cool to start seeing stuff like that happen with Swenson's. Have you found any comparable burger? In you live in the Atlanta area, correct?
1: I do. I live in a suburb of Atlanta, and um, In and Out being the best burger, I think it really depends on who you ask. We have friends and cousins that sure. live in California, and I am like, and, and I've had it before, and um, just by having to say that I did not I don't think I had a good version. Like it wasn't fresh or whatnot, um, took it a few notches down. I think by sheer fact that we flew it in. Um, and let it travel, and it was still just magnificent, it means that Swenson wins that, that competition.
0: Well, okay. I mean, I don't disagree. I would say, and this is going to ruffle some feathers for sure with the, the Swensons and probably in and out purists out there, but I actually, when I had m- my most exposure to Swenson's was actually in college when I went to Kent State, and I was vegetarian at the time. So, I would opt for the Salad Boy, which is a f- essentially, obviously, the meatless version of the Galley Boy, and it's still great. It, to this day, I think it's one of my favorite uh, veggie burgers. I actually just recently kind of cut out meat again. So, at in and out I've been getting the grilled cheese, which is phenomenal. But in LA, I'd say there's a place called Burger Lords I like a lot, and that I like their veggie burger so much because it reminds me so much of the salad boy from Swenson's. That's great. It's good to have an option that reminds me so much, but it, it's crazy like that there's not more like Swenson's purists. Maybe we can get a movement going through this pod because I'd be it's definitely I'd say, <laughs> top five in the country for sure.
1: See, I thought you were saying that you were a vegetarian, but you made an exception for Swenson burgers. And I was like, I, "Well, there you go. I didn't even know they had a salad boy, but I'm going to have to try that. The next time i'm i in akron
0: a friend of mine i think is his fiance is like a health inspector in northeast ohio and i didn't want to ask too many oh, questions because you literally don't want to know how the meat is made of course but he did tell me i think that the the salad boy from swenson's is just a morning star farms patty that you can buy in any grocery store but you know what it's it's the end result that counts and it. it's pretty incredible
1: oh you know what Last year? Yeah, it was probably last year because it was still pandemic. Um, My son had this, like states are a big deal. Um, It's part of the curriculum for uh, third grade and he chose Ohio, right? That's a no brainer. And at the end of it, normally I think they would have done this like picnic, bring something regional from uh, the state that you chose. And we ended up doing it over Zoom, but we tried to recreate the galley boy. It did not taste like the galley boy. It was just a really nice burger with like a couple of quote unquote secret sauces. But, um, even my kids are on that, they they jump on that bandwagon too
0: pretty hard. So pivoting, I guess, to the other thing we have in common, which uh, kind of unfortunately is limb girdle muscular dystrophy. Talk about, I guess, you know, there's obviously so many subtypes. I myself am two I. Uh, which, you know, we discussed, I think this will probably go up the same day as I'll be talking about my side of this conversation on your page, which we'll get into next. Um, but talk about your traject trajectory with limb girdle muscular dystrophy, uh, being your subtype, um, kind of like your early onset symptoms and how it's kind of taken you from then to now.
1: Sure. So I have LGMD-2B, which also goes by dysferlinopathy. When I was diagnosed, I think I was told it was miyoshi myopathy, which is becoming an outdated term. Um, it's a lot of different names for the same subtype. Like you said, there's so many under LGMD. Um, I think the most recent one is now R2, which makes a little bit more sense, which is recessive. And it's the second protein that was discovered. Um, But, you know, kind of looking back over the past 20 years, I was definitely symptomatic in high school, but I didn't know it. I was asked if I was injured um, whenever I took my tennis team on a run. I was an athlete. I have two brothers, um, really active kid. But it was in college when I was diagnosed. And that was because I was at a concert and in the cheapest seats very 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 far away from the stage um, up in the nosebleed section and i tried to get up on my tippy toes to see billy corgan and the smashing pumpkins and oh, nice. almost pitched forward and it was it was one of those like whoa moments and didn't think twice about it until the next morning. I was sitting in front of the TV with my roommates eating cereal out of the box. And I looked at my calves, which have always been extremely muscular. Um, My left one was super atrophied and visibly thinner. Um, So I fortunately do not have a misdiagnosis story. I mean, I kind of dodged a bullet. We thought that there was a cyst on my spine that could have been you know preventing muscle growth in that area but a neurologist stepped in I mean we were all ready to schedule back surgery and he was like there's oh, wow yeah a cyst wouldn't do this this feels more you know neuromuscular and um, I didn't like that answer <laughs> especially when he said that there was really no fix for it but after hearing a lot of people's stories, you know, I'm grateful that I wasn't misdiagnosed or put on medication that was harmful. Um, I think, again, we all learned that many things are survivable, and that just would have been a part of my story. Um, You know, went from weakness, not being able to go upstairs, to um, using a cane and a walker, and now I'm using a wheelchair pretty full-time.
0: And how long, I guess, from your first noticing symptoms to now, like how long did that regression take place over?
1: So I was 19 when we started exploring this and I was diagnosed sometime around 19, 20 years old. I'm 40, 40, almost 41 soon. So we're talking over half my life.
0: Yeah. Well, and you played tennis product. Cause I think about like, like we'll get into more like every limb girdle, even like within the subtypes, every, like the onset, the regression, everything's so different. But for me, I know I tried to stay like active and like play sports as a kid and I never felt like anything was wrong. I just always felt a little slower, like noticeably slower than other kids. But you've played tennis, which is a very demanding sport. So through high school and everything, when when you're playing tennis, you never felt any slower or different from from competitors.
1: I was never a superstar, but yeah, I, I played a lot of different sports. Like I said, I have brothers, um, being physically strong and active was important to me and a big part of just growing up and, um, yeah, I played high school sports, but again, was not a superstar. I had this really bad habit where when I was competing, because um, tennis is so much of a mental game, if I missed a shot or yeah. if was an unforced error, I would take my racket and I would twirl it and then I would whack it on my um, <laughs> on my calf as kind of like a refocusing kind of, you know, tool. And yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, and I would have these like long bruises on my leg and everyone's like, you really shouldn't do that. Um, That was also the leg that I noticed the atrophy in. And so in the beginning, I was like, oh, my gosh, did I I do this to myself? So I did not do it to myself. But um, I just you just totally reminded me of that habit of literally whacking the calf that the um, atrophy manifested in.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I think my biggest thing I noticed was I skateboarded with my friends and I was very bad. And I just assumed they were really good. I had the same issue with like the calves and like just one leg that would not cooperate with like in my mind, I knew how to do tricks. It's just like my body wouldn't put two and two together, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was never super fast. I mean, tennis, you really got to be on your toes and be fast. And I have an older brother and he's built like a linebacker. And so I always thought that I should be faster than him just by sheer like mass. Um, But I've never been able to beat him in a foot race. Uh, I mean, he is, he is, and was a good athlete, but I remember that was always a frustration, kind of like that sibling rivalry. Like I should be so much more nimble than he is, but I'm not.
0: So you started on Instagram, you have a page called Dear LGMD, which we spoke about it a a few weeks back, and and I believe my piece will be up around the same time as this. Talk about what was the catalyst for you starting that? And I have my own theories about this, but why did you choose Instagram as the platform to do it on?
1: I have, I guess, done work in the patient advocacy space little things here and there over the past several years um but i was working full-time i have two kids and just i just didn't really have the bandwidth to do more than what i was doing and um in the past couple of years with the kids getting older and taking a step away from work i was presented with a lot more time plus it was a choice to um be really intentional about my time and my energy and my yeses and no's. I am a a yes person to a lot of things. And the truth is my energy level and physically, I wasn't really able to keep up with all the things that I thought I should be doing. So recently um, I was really trying to identify like, what can I do to have a lot of, to have impact? What skill set do I have to, um, be able to contribute to this patient space and something that I was asked to do years ago was give a patient testimony at a scientific conference. It was the Jane foundation that asked me to do that. And again, I said, yes, without really, um, knowing what I was getting myself into. And it turned out to be, um, incredibly painful and incredibly healing. And it really changed my outlook on, um, LGMD, um, having it and who I was and my identity and just all sorts of things. I mean, I know it sounds dramatic, but I was presented with an opportunity to really talk about it. And that's something I did not do for the first many years. Um, lots of people ask me, why don't you talk about it? And I chose the route of I'm just going to pretend like it's not there because my symptoms right. weren't incredible. They weren't super obvious at the time, but being able to share my story was healing for myself. And um, you know, dear old GMD, I you know I didn't really want to use myself. I know a lot of people do this and they do it well, where a lot of their content is about their daily lives and their personal struggles and their thoughts uh, in the moment and on any given topic. But I was really interested in um, creating an opportunity for other people to do what I thought was so profound for me. Um, And that's just tell your story.
0: That's great. And also, I mean, echoes a lot of the reason why I started doing this. My theory about Instagram, and correct me if I'm if I'm off track here is it seemed like a lot of this information that you're sharing on a page like dear LGMD, you can find some whether it's like deep Googling uh, there's obviously active Facebook groups, which I'm a part of, but there's not really, there hasn't really been a place for information like this and stories like this in a place where like a more, like a younger, more diverse audience would seek it out. And there's a lot of younger people that have conditions like this, and you know, Instagram's so interesting because it's such a like it's it's known as such a vain platform, but in a way, like you know, things like Dear LGMD like opened up uh, a whole nother world, and like a really cool thing about Instagram was like where there there are people dealing with the things that we we deal with, and instead of letting it prevent them from living a very I guess, Instagram friendly existence, if that makes sense. They're actually leaning into it and kind of making it their bread and butter and why people should care about what they're doing. And so I I kind of figured like you chose Instagram because one, like it's a visual way to share stories of something that people don't really want to be visible when they're going through it, if that makes sense. But you've you've done it in a really cool way. And I think, you know, it's, it's good to see how active you've been with it. It seems to be growing pretty fast. like you're you're finding it's a niche community, obviously of people that have conditions like this that we have. but it it's a pretty big community. and these stories are great. i'd I'd like to hear, I guess because I know selfishly doing this this show, a lot of times I do it so I can pick other people's brains about how how they deal with this stuff. So I'm interested to ask a few questions about what you've learned about navigating lgmd and you know the life that comes with it from having these conversations like is there anything like exercise and nutrition are so important and so talked about but there's when we get diagnosed with a condition like this no one hands you the blueprint and it's like do these exercises eat this and you will be x better but what have you picked up about things like that that have been useful
1: um well to kind of speak back on Instagram, I it's so funny that you call it the vain platform. Um, I I love it. Not necessarily my words,
0: yeah. but I think that's how it, I guess perceived.
1: You know, um, I could definitely see that. So I went to art school, and so I'm an I'm a super visual person. I, I love Instagram. I know that there are some pitfalls in participating. Um, on social media especially like your personal accounts and just there's there's good in it and there's also some not so not so great things in it but um i think you're right i think i chose instagram a because i kind of know how to use it i i don't understand tiktok uh, i don't really tweet and facebook has these wonderful groups where people can ask questions and find information and I felt like people were doing that really well. I don't believe I have the answers to things, but um, what I really like about Daryl GMD that's been happening is we get to show a lot of different perspectives and, you know, a lot of diversity in age and subtype and it's, it's a really great storytelling platform and that's really what I was most interested in hearing. Plus, Again, this comes from personal experience, but I loved being able to do a slideshow along with the par- the patient testimony that I gave because I get to show people that I have LGMD and I am in a wheelchair and this is me present day, but this is not the only facet of me. And I feel like pictures right. can tell um, a fuller story. And so um, – yeah, I think this is Instagram. Instagram works really well for this right now, and I think you were asking what I've learned about L- um, just LGMD and I guess best practices uh, for a variety of topics, um, right? Like how to live with it. Is that was that the question?
0: Totally. Yeah, it's crazy because i I've, I've even seen it a little bit following the posts that you've done, like some people will say like this diet has made them feel better. And then there's feedbacks like, well, actually, you know, like you eat vegetarian, I only eat meat and I feel great. And it's, it's still helpful. Like getting, even when it's like myriad perspectives, like it's still helpful getting that feedback that previously you can't really find anywhere else. And it's straight from, you know, the people dealing with these conditions. So yeah, I was just pretty much asking about like, what have you picked up some tools along the way whether it's like exercise wise um, oh i wanted to update speaking on exercise i think uh we talked a little about bit about stomping as a <laughs> as a cardio exercise when when i did my interview i've actually pivoted away from stomping and i now use and i i can endorse this because it's been going pretty well so far it's called i think it's called the qb um, but basically, it's like a little stationary bike that's just the pedals, and you can like put it under a desk or whatever. Yeah. Um, I've been doing, doing that in the living room. I saw—I remember New Year's Eve seeing like a targeted ad. I think it's intended for elderly people, without a doubt. But um, I can say it's—it's it's definitely helped with cardio exercise and probably a little bit with with stability when I'm on my feet too. Aside from the QB, obviously, in stomping, diet, exercise-wise, what are some things that have been interesting that you've picked up from people?
1: I think more than the specifics um, and the exactitudes of diet and exercise or nutrition is just having this conversation. Um, I I think you're referring to these conversation starters that I put under the hashtag Let's Talk About LGMD, where I just kind of throw out a topic and um, depending on – I guess, how good of a question it is, people will respond with the things that they've done that have been good practices. Um, And if anything, I think people are either encouraged, um, you know, to try to do fun things, or um, if I think you referred to diet earlier, I think, you know, for me, it makes me pause and think like, well, you know, I don't know if I'm really interested in becoming vegetarian per se, but, you know, it's reminding me, are there, are there things, are there best practices that I can do for my body aside from LGMD to make me feel better that will in turn, hopefully make some of the LGMD symptoms feel better as well. Um, And it's also just kind of coupling it with aging. And um, I feel like there's always kind of a new problem to solve, but that isn't unique to LGMD specifically, I feel like, but, um, we should all be trying to do, you know, what's best for our bodies, which is rest more and eat cleaner. And, um, I do know that something that I've, it was my, one of my very, very first purchases in my early twenties, that has withstood the test of time and any um, muscle atrophy is an exercise recumbent cycler. Um, I think I bought this thing when I was like 23 and it was by far the most expensive thing I had ever purchased. My then boyfriend, now husband and I, um, they they sell these out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. I think that's where their warehouse is. I mean, we borrowed a car and drove up three hours to go pick it up so that we didn't have to pay for shipping. Like that's how much it just emptied my bank account. Um, and I would since upgraded the machine, but I love this thing. I mean, I've told my neurologist about it and he definitely had questions about it, but honestly, I don't care. It's the only Activity that I can do still 20 years later um, where you kind of sit and you put your feet up on the pedals and there's like a part for your arms and I can go as slow or as fast as I like, which, you know, these days it's a lot more slow than fast, but I can kind of break a sweat and I can kind of feel like I'm doing something that's heart healthy and um, I don't have to worry about falling down or falling over. Um, But yeah, other than that, whether it's travel and going out and all those things um, as with most people, I I think sometimes all I want to do is figure out a way to do those things. And and in other seasons, it's, you know what? I'm just really not into any of that stuff. Like I'm super tired and I just want to lay low. And um, depending on who I talk to, because every time I interview someone new, I'm like re-energized in a new way. um to do the thing that they spoke about right
0: and it's it's interesting for us too because obviously you know things have been locked down for the most part for a year now um so everybody you know all the people that have been considerate enough to acknowledge that at least partially um has kind of been in a bubble that we are in regardless of a pandemic and it's you know it's a bubble created by our bodies so something that i think is really interesting and I think what you're getting at too is like, it's good to see how other people navigate that. And I think you're, you're spot on where it's like, sometimes you do want to push it. Sometimes you want to be more ambitious. And then a lot of times you do want to just let yourself chill a little bit. Um, I think that's probably the best approach, but like what I'm looking forward to, I guess, as things, you know, sort of get back to quote unquote normal to some degree. Is just pushing it that little bit and like getting out of the, you know, the comfort zone. Cause we really don't have a comfort zone. When you have a disease like this, you're never fully comfortable doing anything. So, what I'm looking forward to is, you know, kind of applying what I've picked up over the last year on how to just get out of that bubble a little bit more. Cause I really do like doing things. I think most people do. And then also knowing like, how to recover and how to be okay with not being okay, if that makes sense. Like just to to have those days where you let yourself be a patient and be someone that, you know, is limited and, you know, let yourself relax. So.
1: Yeah, I, that is something that I've been working on for 20 years, trying to learn because I feel like I'm always racing time. Like, if I don't do this now, even if it might not be financially the smartest thing to do or physically the smartest thing to do, I often convince myself that if I don't do it present day now, go, 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 then it's going to be a missed opportunity. I mean, it's like, it's like physical FOMO, right? And I've gotten better at saying it's really not to anyone else, but to myself that. It's okay to be tired. It's okay to not want to have to conquer that thing. You know, that there will be another opportunity to do that later. That it doesn't always have to be go, go, go now. Because I am more tired than I was before. Because um, before there was it was awkward and, I mean, kind of ugly. Because whatever it is that I was trying to do, I would probably be falling while I'm doing it and getting... Yeah hurt. I mean, I've never gotten seriously injured, but it does not feel good to do like a dead drop to the ground, you know?
0: No, absolutely not. And I guess somewhat selfishly, I'll ask about because I thought it was really cool. Um, You did a piece on DRL GMD where I believe it was uh, kind of like a profile on your husband and how he navigates being the partner to someone dealing with what you deal with and what I deal with. And I know I've had to like, I continue to. It's I certainly haven't perfected it quite yet, but like I try to be as mindful and appreciative, but also put myself in the position of, of my wife and my partner and like what she has to deal with, the physical things she's had to take on, and the mental stress of dealing with people like ourselves. And on top of that, you know, I'm I'm a guy. I'm kind of like a. ADD mess uh, at times too, um, not always the most attentive or present. So do you have any tips asking for a friend of like what makes for being a good partner to the person that is our partner trying to help us?
1: Oh, man, I don't know if I'm the best person to speak on this. My husband is going to roll his eyes
0: when he when he hears this. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure my wife is in the other room like yeah, please have something to to tell this guy. Yeah. No pressure, but.
1: Yeah, no. um, It's, I have to do a shout out because my husband is the reason why I can do a lot of things. Like I take credit for the things that, you know, are due to me and I give him credit for the things that he makes possible for me. You know, in my low moments, um, especially with being a parent too, is I feel like, everything is about me. And, and I don't like that. That's not how it's supposed to be. And it's yeah. balanced in a lot of ways. Um, I am ambitious and I want to do a lot of things and everything sounds fun. And um, what I don't put out and it, I guess where, where I could be a good partner or where I try to be a good partner is I, um, When he says, it's not the right time, I hear that as not, I'm taking this away from you. I don't want this for you. It's just not the right time, right? Right. Because part of this is also like, in our case, you know, men versus women and how we communicate, right? And not trying to overcomplicate it. He's also gotten better in the course of our marriage, um, recognizing that there are certain things that I just Really want to do, and it might not be his favorite thing, but it would mean a lot to me if we got to do the thing, or or go to the place, or try the you know, try the activity. And um, I mean, that's just kind of what we've learned. He's he is also an incredibly supportive person, and I remember you are totally reminding me, like. Before when I was physically more able to do things and not using adaptive equipment at all, you know, the joke was I'm the hardest working person in the room because it's 10 times harder for me to do the thing that other people do easily, but I still want to do it. And, but the work output is just so much higher and harder, but yeah, we're a work in progress and um, he gets it and what he doesn't get I also have the responsibility to say so because I don't know how you are, but I do. I mean, sometimes I'll just get really emotional or angry about it. And we tend to put that on the people um, closest and dearest to us. I mean, it's not fair, but they are safe spaces. And um, we just work really hard to maintain that balance. Right.
0: For sure. My thing is not so much like projecting any like, Anger or sadness, but I will just like totally check out and realize, or not realize, I guess, that my brain, because I'm I'm worried about something with the disease or something, my brain is in like another county at the time. So it's not it's actually would be probably better if I was more outspoken in the moment. But usually it's just like, okay, like what's going on with you? And it's like, oh yeah, that's right. I have not paid attention to a single thing about where I'm at or what I'm doing for the past 40 minutes. So yeah, I think it's, it's almost helpful just to hear and hopefully helpful for other people to hear that no one's professionals at this stuff, I guess going back to like the Instagram Facebook thing, a lot of times in these Facebook groups, even for these very challenging conditions we're dealing with, you just see the best of the best. And like, it's very easy for me and, and maybe yourself to be like, well, those people seem to have it figured out, like it, you know, like, it's, so it's, it's good to, you know, I guess, kind of let the guard down.
1: Well, I guess because you brought up the the profile I did on my husband, which I was really grateful for him to do because he's a much quieter, he is the quieter partner and mm-hmm. something I want to do more of because whether you're in a partnership or living with a parent or a sibling or a friend when you have someone living with lgmd it really does affect more than just you i mean i fully acknowledge that the person who is living in the lgmd affected body like top of the food chain when it comes to really living in it but um what i would like to do more of um as people agree to do it is just share perspectives like one i would love to do is when multiple siblings in a family have lgmd but one doesn't what does that look yeah. like what does that feel like yeah so yeah just showing kind of different perspectives not just the LGMD patient but the people who love them and um and live with them
0: so speaking on lgmd and i guess to b specifically because it's it's a very as exciting a time, I guess, to have limb girdle as could have ever existed in a way. And we talked about this earlier, but for 2i, my specific subtype, there's, you know, clinical trials starting up for gene therapies and um, a specific drug treatment that I I was telling you, I went down to UC Irvine last week for the the lead-in trial for this treatment, which was basically like... I mean, honestly, it was the first time, you know, due to COVID, I'd been, I'd gone to a place in the past year, which was pretty wild uh, in and of itself. I like went to a medical facility and was around like a lot of people that I didn't know. Um, So that part of it actually went great. I was very relieved, one, that my mobility does not seem like it's declined. Um, I was not terrified to be walking around in a place, which was really encouraging, as I'm sure Mm -hmm. you can understand. And two... It was cool to go through like the physical parts of it and you know like it kind of went as it was as challenging as I expected up until we'll talk about it. you said you've never had a muscle biopsy. Um congratulations. I actually hope you get to have one because it'll mean that there's like, you know, treatments potentially in the pipeline for 2B. But let me tell you, um it did not go as swimmingly as I expected. And a muscle biopsy is not very fun and it is, it was quite painful for sure.
1: Well, my of muscle biopsies is to do the genetic confirm, like to do a confirmation. And I think that's why I got to circumvent it at the time. Right. So I don't know. I hope I never have to get a biopsy. So take that back. <laughs> well, I would say,
0: I mean, if it's because, you know, a, a treatment or cure is sure. ideally yeah. the end of all of it, then, then I, I think you would, over. yeah, yeah, so that's why I was, I was kind of okay with it going as, uh, questionably and painfully as it did, but I'm all right now, I'm, I'm here, I'm standing, but with, with 2B and in general, like what, what's there, is there things to be optimistic about? It seems like a lot of like, if one, if something works for one subtype, it should, you know, be a few tweaks away for working for several. So that seems encouraging,
1: right? Absolutely. And 2B has the Jane Foundation, which is a um, private scientific foundation um, focused on dysphalinopathy specifically. And I know some of the key characters over there and they work so hard and have... um, real passion for moving the ball forward um, and coming up with the treatment and just understanding it. Um, I am not participating in anything. I'm, I'm not aware of anything that's relevant to me in this moment, but I do know that um, things are developing. I I kind of made peace a long time ago that I'm not going to live my life waiting for that call to come and yeah. to live the fullest life that i can um and one that makes me proud um despite it now with all that being said if a treatment does become available and it's safe and it could i mean i'll i'll take it right sign me up um whether it's to stop the progression or to reverse it but um but yeah i mean i do i i there's a lot of cool things that are happening on the horizon that I cannot intelligently speak on, but um, I do think of it kind of as like a long game.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. I think, I mean, if we see significant enough treatments and you know potential cures, I think you'd be pretty psyched to maybe one day play tennis again, but I think we should make it, make it a priority. Should we have a significant recovery, even if we're in our sixties at this point, I think we should, be entitled to be Swenson's waiters for a day because you know, they run to the cars Yeah, that alone always impressed me. Um, the fact that I I've never seen them drop food, but I think that that should be on our radar is like a a good way to celebrate would be,
1: uh, Swenson's waiters for a day. But even if you get to that point, I think there's a lot of things that patients and diet, you know, people with LGMD can do that, um, is present day, which is, you know, getting genetic confirmation, know what your subtype is. I think it's wonderful that we have this umbrella larger LGMD community. And you and I, um, aside from hailing from Mackin, Ohio, obviously have shared experiences, even though we have different subtypes, but, um, you and I are both also two people who have proactively, um, pursued that, to know that. And um, I don't even, that was handed to me, right? That was handed to me by my doctor. It wasn't even something that I knew um, upon being diagnosed, but I do know that that is something that people can do that can help also just move the ball forward is the more people we know um, with specific subtypes, like there's great value in that as well, right?
0: For sure. That's a good point. And anyone who happens upon this, you know, I'm I'm hoping this will get shared within the limb girdle community because this information was almost unfindable, you know, five, 10 years ago when I first started and I consider myself pretty good at the internet. um, And I really couldn't find much information either way. So part of the reason for doing this is that, and part of the reason for having conversations like this is so people that know that there are options. You know, I was told at the Cleveland Clinic over 10 years ago that to get a specific subtype, it would be tens of thousands of dollars. Um, My insurance wouldn't cover it. So I just kind of sat on it. And then, you know, as we, we talked about on your page, I was misdiagnosed as well with polymyositis. I was put on steroids for a year and a half. And had I not done the deep Googling and found the Jane Foundation, I would probably also have no idea. I know I've, I've talked to Keisha Greaves was on the show um, and she is an extremely awesome person that's doing great things, but cannot get a subtype diagnosis. And that that's wild to me. And I, I really feel for her. So if you do happen upon this and you have the symptoms of, of a limb girdle muscular dystrophy or similar, look up the Jane Foundation. It's a great resource. And I don't think People like Yumi or myself would be as far along with navigating this challenge without them, no question.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, I guess in wrapping it up, uh, this has been awesome. Uh, talk about where people can find you, talk about uh, Dear LGMD, and anything else you'd like to sign off with.
1: Well, actually, um... This is something that comes up a lot for me, which has been incredibly surprising in interviewing um, the handfuls of people that I have so far, is nobody thinks that they have an interesting story, right? Right. Dear LGMD is very new, and um, I've had, especially in the beginning, had to call upon friends uh, that have LGMD to be interviewed. Um, But I am really good at asking anyone kind of cold asking over Instagram or Facebook if they're willing to share their story. And almost always, there's this hesitation before their their story is shared. Like, I don't really think I I haven't done anything cool. I don't really have anything to say. But um, to anyone who does have LGMD and wants to share their story, I think just living with LGMD makes you interesting. Like, the The response that I get from people, um, the parts of I know that they are just a fraction of the fuller story of their life, but um, yeah, you don't have to have done all these wonderful, amazing, you know, accolades to have a story worth sharing or one that people want to hear.
0: That's true, and that's it. I've been blown away by a lot of the stories, even if it does seem like to, you know, the person living that life, it, it seems so simple or whatever. But what's been really cool to me is also, and there's probably scientific value to this too, but like LGMD is a lot more diverse of a condition than I'd realize because, you know, with 2i, it's called, I guess, the Viking gene, which sounds awesome. Um, but unfortunately, it's not. I, th- I think it just means it's like... If you have Eastern European uh, bloodlines, um, and you know, I was kind of under the impression that it was, you know, a very white and s- like South Asian, just like limb girdle in general. Um, but to see, you know, I wouldn't wish this condition upon anyone. But to see how diverse it actually is has been really interesting.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I think I was told that mine was called Miyoshi myopathy, and I'm like, wait, is it because I'm. Asian, but I'm not Japanese. Like, does that have anything to do with this? And having to re-educate myself, again, kind of doing a deep internet dive and um, understanding um, why it was called that. I think it's named after a person um, who -hmm. discovered something relevant, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. But again, even in just the renaming of LGMD subtypes, which happened fairly recently, only a couple of years ago, um just goes to show there's a lot more that um, scientists are trying to you, you have to be able to understand it before you can fix it. And you know once upon a time we would do patient conferences now there are things like the national lgmd conference that happened a couple of years in chicago um and i think they're doing an online version Um, this upcoming September, but back when we were doing, um, to be specific patient conferences through the Jane foundation, I've had an opportunity to speak, um, someone else did. So you're talking two or three patients getting to share their story over the course of a year, if there is a conference that year. And, um, it's been really cool being able to share just the volume of stories that have been happening on DRL GMD. Um, and there's just a lot more to come, so that's been. It's just been really cool. I I've enjoyed every single person that I've interviewed. Um, I'm that person. We have one good conversation, and I'm like, so basically, we're friends for life, right? Um, oh yeah, 100%. and yeah, it's. I'm always um, again inspired. Is is a really tricky word, but um, whatever it is that you know the person shared. In our conversation it just uh it encourages me right and so i am getting a lot more out of it i was i thought of myself as like a vehicle for you know a platform to put these stories up but um i guess kind of an unexpected benefit is just frequent encouragement that i get from people that you know i would have otherwise not been able to literally cross paths with
0: same well wrapping it up yumi thanks so much for joining everyone go follow uh dear lgmd on instagram and we will talk soon
1: absolutely thank you so much for having me tony
0: thanks to you for listening if you'd like uh please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on uh go follow at dear lgmd on instagram and until next time hope you come back and check out another episode and stay good